the ladies kicking assets. Uh, once again, we have a super rock star uh, guest with us today. Uh, we are not financial advisors. This is for educational purposes only. And we are super thrilled to have Michael Flight with us today. He is a man of many hats. He has been involved in real estate for, what were we just calculating? 35 36 plus? years. 36 years. That's amazing. And your, I guess, I guess I'll let you kind of introduce yourself and some of the things that you're involved in. Sure. Um, I'm still involved with real estate because they don't know how to do anything else. Um, so, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I started out in, in real estate in 1986. I graduated from college. I uh, went to college. Uh, I thought I wanted to be a Lutheran pastor. And then Greek. I did and not Hebrew. know that about you. Yeah, yeah. And then Greek and Hebrew are a sign from God that I should not be a Lutheran. Pastor. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so I uh, went went into business, and um, my brother and I, while I was still in college, uh, and I think he had just graduated, uh, we went to a nothing down seminar, and I'm like, oh, we could buy real estate nothing down, and mm -hmm. so it, it we never did end up buying any real estate nothing down, but we ended up owning property um, just as I graduated from college and I became a commercial real estate broker and I went into retail real estate which is mm -hmm. shopping centers and malls and things like that and um, you know there's been I, I think this is my fifth we're going probably going into my sixth downturn uh, or cycle mm -hmm. so um, I've uh, you know been through the ups and downs and uh, it really I I love the business. I especially love retail real estate because you not only need to know the real estate business and zoning and just about every aspect of business, but you also need to know how retailers operate their businesses and what makes a good retailer and what doesn't make a good retailer. And when you're merchandising a shopping center, it's kind of like merchandising a department store. Um, so I've, I've just loved that aspect of the business, but I've done everything from flipping close to 150 houses to bank workouts on, you know, broken condo projects. And uh, we were some of the first people in the United States to do demalling, which is taking a mall and, you know, making it no longer a mall. So um, it, it's been a, a great and fun ride. And I, I really, really love uh, real estate. That's amazing. I didn't know that you flipped houses along with that. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's incredible. That's something that I always thought about, but I never have gone down that path. So um, that was with, a, I have, and he still, we're, we're great friends and, and we're partners on a few things still. Um, he's a residential broker. And I always tell people I've been a real estate broker since 1986 and have never sold a house. So I wouldn't know how to sell a house. Uh -huh. um, but my partner, Jimmy, uh, is a residential real estate broker in the Chicago area. And so we've done a, a number of things, but one of them was we were flipping houses. So I would uh, raise the money and be the tax matters partner. And he would find the deals and you know he would know what they would sell for and we just back into the numbers. Um, and then he and I, like I said, we've, uh, you know, did some workouts for some banks on, uh, you know, foreclosed um, single family home portfolios mm -hmm. and a few different um, broken condo projects. Uh, so it, it's just, uh, you know, we, we're a boutique firm. And so we kind of just went where um, uh, 
we thought we could make money. I stopped doing it because it wasn't worth doing the the house flipping for the amount of work my company had to do in terms of record keeping. Some of our one of our partners was a Canadian institutional fund, and um, so just the tax parts of that and figuring out the the non U.S. taxation and things like that was just a a big hassle. So I'm like Jimmy. Uh, I, I really don't want to do this anymore. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you have been involved in triple net leases for mm-hmm. how long now? And that's really kind of what I want to dive into because I, I don't, I don't know a whole lot, a lot about it. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. really excited to learn. So sure. well, some? yeah, shopping centers um, are quote unquote triple net. They're not like complete triple net. Um, and then a lot of the out parcels and things surrounding those, like the restaurants or the Starbucks or the McDonald's or the Walgreens out on the out parcel in the parking lot are typically either ground leases, which are complete triple net and the tenant just takes care of everything or, um, is you that know, what triple, what does triple net mean? Okay. So we should probably back up there. Yeah, let's um, back up. Start from the beginning. Triple net, it uh, means that the tenant pays for taxes, insurance, and maintenance. Um, So a single net means that the tenant pays the taxes. A double net means the tenant pays the taxes and the insurance, or they pay their pro rata share. So like in a shopping center, if there's 100,000 square feet and the tenant has you know, 10,000 square feet, you know, it'll pay 10% of, you know, whatever the taxes and the insurance are. And then a triple net means that the tenant pays for the maintenance. Now, when you have a full triple net lease, like for example, a Walgreens uh, or a McDonald's, the tenant does everything. If there's something wrong with the sidewalk in front of their store, if there's something wrong with the walls or the roof or anything like that, that the tenant also has to do their snow plowing and everything else. Uh, in a shopping center, um, it's not quite a full triple net in that they do pay for common area maintenance. They pay their share of snow plowing and things like that. But the landlord is typically responsible for the structural, uh, which is the walls and you know whatever supports the roof. And the landlord is typically responsible for the roof. Mm-hmm. So, but you can remember triple net by the acronym TIM. So taxes, insurance, and maintenance. And that's in addition to all the utilities and their rent. Oh yeah. So that, the great thing, what I, you know, and, you know, I like to say it's nothing but net because it's nothing but net income. So mm-hmm. the tenant pays for the rent and a lot of the thing, the great thing about like, if you do a deal with McDonald's or you do a deal with Starbucks or all the rest of these guys, they don't want to send you a check anymore. They send an ACH payment directly to your bank account. So, and I, I tell you like McDonald's is like clockwork. It's in the bank account five days before the beginning of the month. So it's like, you know, literally better than mailbox mailbox money. And the other thing is, is that um, if something goes wrong with the roof or something like that, and they call you up, you just kind of like say, did you read your lease? Because your lease says you're responsible for that HVAC. You're responsible for doing this and that. Um, so in shopping centers, it's a little more management intensive because some of the local tenants and even some of the tenants that are 
having some financial issues, um, you might need to go out and get a maintenance contract for their HVAC to make sure that they're maintaining the, the equipment properly. Right. Um, and the other thing is, is that uh, even with triple net, uh, you need to make sure that they're carrying their insurance um, because if somebody does slip and fall in their parking lot or in their store, um, you know, they're going to sue not only the tenant, but you. Um, so you need to make sure that uh, you are listed as an additional insured and that they have the proper insurance. Oh, good to know. Do you find the triple net leases to be more common in commercial properties that are more um, retail strip center styled or in um, commercial buildings that maybe have multi floors and different? Um, so triple net properties can be just about anything. I've even seen triple net apartment buildings where, um, and you can see it even in, if you've got like even a four flat and let's say somebody's running a rehab center in the four flat, mm -hmm. um, they might lease the whole building, uh, from you as a residential home. And then, you know, so I've, I've seen, you know, triple net, even in, in certain residential circumstances, but, um, one of the biggest things in triple net, literally billions of dollars is most of the casinos in Las Vegas are triple net properties. So, and the really cool thing is on those, and they're owned by real estate investment trust, mm -hmm. but not only are they paying for everything, but they're also paying a percentage rent of, you know, what their income is. Oh, wow. Oh, in casinos. Yeah. And, wow. and, and, and that's one of the nice things that you'll see in retail, which you won't see anywhere else is mm -hmm. uh, to cover yourself for inflation, it used to be people were doing percentage rent leases. And then that kind of went out of favor in, you know, the late 1980s, because a lot of lenders didn't want to see percentage rent leases, they wanted to see regular monthly income, and they wanted to see a guaranteed minimum rent. Uh, but now, uh, given the fact with COVID, everybody like was forced to close down, and they couldn't pay their regular rent. So mm -hmm. You know, we went back to saying, well, you can pay a portion of your sales until we get up back to normal and then we'll go back to the normal thing. But with inflation now, we're also doing and adding in the percentage rent back in because the percentage rent will cover you in inflation because as they raise their prices, then, you know, the uh, percentage rent kicks in and gives you extra rent. Huh. I like that. I'm going to make a note of that, the percentage rent. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you'll, you'll really only see that in retail because it's, it's really hard. And it, a lot of retailers won't do it anymore. Um, some will. So, but it, it's, it's becoming more prevalent again, especially with inflation. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to your question, you can see triple net leases in office buildings. Um, Typically, multi-tenant office buildings mm -hmm. are not straight triple net. They're what we call modified gross. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, in certain situations, a tenant will like lease the entire office building. So it'll be leased as triple net. Uh, you'll also see it in certain, you know, medical or hospital things where, you know, the medical space or the, the hospital will lease the entire building. And there, it might even be a multi-tenant thing. So we've done things uh, when we were converting one mall, 
we had a department store and it was vacant. And so we refurbished it, leased it out to a hospital. The hospital leased the whole thing and then subdivided it and um, subleased it to all their doctors because they wanted the doctors to feed into all their patients into the hospital. So um, that was, we, we had one lease with the hospital and the hospital was responsible for doing all the subleasing and, and dealing with doctors directly. Mm, fascinating. And wow. these leases are generally, they're not one-year leases. These are uh, longer term multi-year. Right? Yeah. Three yeah. to five years, right? Yeah. And, and the reason for that is, is that there's a large amount of capital expenditure. So either on the tenant side or the landlord side. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, we um, like, three years ago did an old Navy and we ended up spending, you know, close to a million and a half um, retrofitting the space because yes. took a, a, a really large space and divided it up. Um, so you want a longer term lease to be able to recapture, you know, that expenditure right. versus, you know, I, if you're doing an apartment turn or something like that, I, when I was doing them, it was like $10,000. I don't know what it is now, but yeah. you know, it, it's not that type of a thing. Um, and you know, the, the other thing is the retailers or the corporations want to know that they have that location because there's a lot of equity that they build up creating traffic to go there. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, um, we used to say that McDonald's is not a, um, a restaurant company as much as they are a real estate company. All right. So, yeah. uh, because wherever McDonald's goes, they create a market for real estate. And then all of a sudden you see Burger King popping up and you see mm -hmm. Kentucky Fried Chicken and Chick-fil-A and everybody else will come to that because McDonald's spent a ton of money doing a lot of research on, you know, the rooftops and what the growth is and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. um, so, but when they put that type of capital expenditure in there and when they say, I know that we're going to spend in a lot of these places, like stores take like three years to actually get to be profitable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they have to build up that brand equity at that location. Um, and so they want a longer term lease so that they can do it. A lot of them, this is the dirty secret, want what are called kickout clauses after five years. So you might sign a 10 year lease with them. Uh, but a lot of them have the right to kick out after two years, three years, or five years um, if they don't make the sales numbers. Hmm. So, you know, people that are not uh, familiar with retail real estate, I, I just had this conversation. Somebody called me up and said, oh, there's this mall in uh, Minnesota and it's a bargain. And this, these guys are telling me that you can redevelop it and all the rest of it. I'm like, look, I've done mall redevelopment. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's never as easy as these guys are telling you. It right. is. Mm -hmm. um, because not only do you have these clauses with, you know, percentage rents and you have to make sure it's the correct pro rata that they're paying back to you for expenses and you're covering all your expenses. Um, but a lot of tenants have what are called exclusive use clauses. So mm -hmm. for example, if a beauty salon or a nail salon goes in there, they'll want to be the only tenant that's doing nails. And honestly, if you're a, a responsible shopping center owner, you wouldn't put a nail salon in right next to another nail salon because, right. you know, neither one of them are going to do well. 
-hmm. So you want to make sure that your tenants are doing as much business as possible, and then they can pay you much more rent because their rent is a factor of how much business they're doing. So there's exclusive use clauses. There's also the tenants have use clauses in there that say you cannot put certain noxious uses in. Like a big example is, you know, you can't put, you know, pornography shops in. There used to be, you can't put head shops in, which are, you know, uh, drug paraphernalia. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of retail tenants don't want a gym in the shopping center because the gym, people just go there and work out and then leave and they're all sweaty and they don't go shopping. So mm -hmm. they just take up a lot of parking. So mm -hmm. you have to be aware of the, there's it's, it's a lot more active than a lot of people think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. And it's, it's funny because we actually have a little shopping center and I don't know who is in charge of what's going in there, but it drives me crazy because it's two buildings and each building has like three stores and there's a paint store in each one, <laughs> a sandwich shop in each one, and then a burger place. And I'm like, okay, who, who, who did that? Uh -huh. right, right. But now you're going to look at all of them differently when you're driving around. You're going to yes. be analyzing. Yeah. Yeah. What, and, what types of and, places are in these strips. And, and to a certain extent, I mean, I will. This was true with Dunkin' Donuts. And then again with Starbucks, they always wanted to be on the going to work side. So, you know, if in Chicago, um, going to work is downtown and you're heading east. So they always wanted to be on you know, the south side of the street so that people were heading east or they were heading north. So that's funny because I will literally plan my strategic stops on what's on the convenient side of the road. Right. Wow. And if you can't make a left hand turn into it, it's dead. Yeah. 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 Huh. Wow. That's fascinating. So you're you're buying these properties, you know, going into these triple net leases. And then do you like set up, okay, after 10 years, we're going to sell it? Or do you plan on holding it long term? Or what does that look like? It really depends on, on who our partners are. And okay. it really depends on what the, you know, um, goal of the, the fund is or whatever. Okay. Um, so We've had one that we're involved with now for, it'll be in January, 33 years. Oh, so, wow. and that's owned by a family office that literally the patriarch of the, the family uh, developed probably 25 shopping centers east of the Mississippi. At one time, you know, we did um, four of them together and um, he was, you know, David Bermant was actually a mentor to me too for 10 years. Um, so it was a, a, a great relationship. And, you know, we've redeveloped that shopping center probably three times. Mm -hmm. So uh, just because retail real estate changes and, you know, fads change and the tenants change and, and all the rest of it. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of capital expenditure that goes into it. And like I say, you also have to like kind of read the tea leaves. So right around 2017, we saw that a lot of stuff was going online. Mm -hmm. And so we started shifting from a lot of, um, you know, clothing and some of the other things that might be disintermediated and definitely stuff like we, we were definitely not doing bookstores. Um, right. You know, like, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and the other thing is like, we were, you know, even in like around 2000, uh, we saw that 
you know, CVS and Walgreens were all wanted to do drive ups. Mm -hmm. um, so if we saw a shopping center with, you know, a CVS or a Walgreens in line, uh, we knew that that tenant wasn't going to renew unless we could put them out on an out parcel. So, you know, we weren't paying full price for those things, even though uh, we were outbid in a lot of situations, people came in and paid full price. And then, you know, next thing you know, three, five years, that tenants popped out of there because they wanted, you know, a, a freestanding building with a drive through. Yeah, so. that's great because sometimes people, you know, I wouldn't have thought to think about, you know, what the trends are and where that's going. And so it's great that y'all are doing that because really kind of on the back end, you're helping to maximize, you know, the retailer that's going in there. So that's great. Right. And, and right now with COVID in, in after COVID, you're seeing tenants that were in line in these small strip centers like Shake Shack and uh, Chipotle and things like that. Uh, they're you know, new um, prototypes are all drive-through. So if you're buying some of these smaller strip centers with a Chipotle, with a Shake Shack, with, you know, five guys and some of these other guys, um, they realize that they could be shut down, especially in these Northern states. Um, and they also realize like McDonald's, um, we had a McDonald's in Illinois that actually didn't open their dining room back up till like really late, you know, 2021. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because of COVID. It was just because they were making, you know, gobs of money with the drive through and it was less expensive to like, yeah. um, you know, operate it as a straight drive through. Sure. Mm -hmm. I, I wondered, we had several, I mean, even like our Chick-fil-A's and stuff like that, they stayed closed, their dining rooms and we're in Texas and we had a lot of them that stayed closed. Um, and I just thought, you know, that there's so much less for them to mess with by having that dining room closed. And, you know, well, they're still Chick efficient in their drive-thrus. Yeah, Chick-fil-A. Oh my God, they need traffic. The traffic yeah, they, people helping Chick -fil -A them. Chick-fil-A is probably like one of the most efficient in terms of getting people through the drive-thru. They've got the people out there and mm -hmm. all the rest of it. Another, I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Dutch Brothers. Uh, they're oh, a coffee yes. company. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I'm not saying this, so I'm not disparaging Dutch Brothers or anything, but it's like, they must have cocaine or something in their coffee because they have because like, <laughs> it's some good stuff. Well, I there's like lines like three blocks long and it's wrapping around and around. I have and, heard uh, great things about them. I I've have never not had it. No, <laughs> it's great coffee. I'm not disparaging them whatsoever. I'm just saying it's like there's no way I'm going to spend you know like two hours in line. But yeah. they they really know how to move people through. They've got like two and three people with headsets out there mm -hmm. and you know they're just like shoving people through there that would that would give me anxiety because i i'm not a big coffee drive through person i need you know especially like starbucks i'm not a starbucks fan but um i always have to sit there and take eight years to look at the menu because i don't even know what to order and so that would give me anxiety in a drive <laughs> yeah i, I don't I if there's more than, and I'm not like a super huge drive-through person anyways anymore, but if there's more than three people in a drive-through, there's no way I'm going to that place. So Unless it's Chick-fil-A. Well, Chick-fil-A is, is super frantically busy here in Houston, I would say. Right. And around here, there's a hot dog place called Portillo's and Portillo's, you know, literally has you know, three blocks long lines too. And Unbelievable. I'm, I'm not going to sit in my car that long for a hot dog. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. That's funny. That's funny. Well, well 
interesting on all of that. Courtney, go ahead. What were you going to no, say? No, I was just going to say, you know, okay, so triple net leases, like that's super appealing. The fact that you're, you know, acquiring these buildings, these tenants are pretty much taking care of everything. Um, are there any downsides to it? Is there anything where you're like, oh, um, you know, I feel like there's always pluses and minuses. Uh, to yeah. So the, the downside is, is that you're locked into a long-term lease. So we like to describe it, especially the single tenant leases, mm-hmm. bonds wrapped in real estate. Um, so just like I would compare certain value add multifamily, and this was like a few years back, I don't think you're going to get this as, as much pop as you were getting before. But if you look at that value add model, like two or three years ago, that was your growth stocks. And right. if you look at... Um, single tenant triple net leases, that was your bonds. So, and you're typically we're buying at a lower cap rate, although, you know, with multifamily, it's dipped really far below. There's not as much upside, but you know exactly what the cash flow is going to be all the way through. Mm -hmm. So that's one of them. Uh, The other thing is, is that you just want to make sure that there's rent escalations in the lease. Otherwise, um, I see a lot of people buying the um, um, dollar generals and you can get them for like an eight cap. Uh, My main concern about those is number one, they're in small towns. And so you're paying, we we like to look at them not only from a cap rate point of view, but also a dollar per square foot point of view, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's like, what is the replacement cost? Um, So if you're paying in the middle of Podunk, Kentucky, $400, you know, a foot for a dollar general, um, you're never going to replace that tenant with something, you know, but at the same time, uh, I'll take a, you know, four cap or a five cap in Austin, Texas. And the the one we missed, which was the absolute, um, I I still regret this to this day. There was a Jiffy Lube in Lakeway uh, by Austin yeah, and it was a five cap, but the, the value of the land underneath that, it's like, so what if they leave, you know, it's like, there's no way you'll ever replace that in Austin, Texas, because it was literally like $300 a foot. Mm -hmm. Right. So that those are some of the the things you got to look at. It's like, are you paying more than, you know, the construction value? Or um, I look at it now, a lot of people say, well, you know, you're kind of locked into this. Where's your inflation hedge? It's like, well, my inflation hedge is, is that um, anybody building something new, especially in Dallas or something, is right now probably you know per square foot cost of four hundred dollars a foot. Right. So if you were in it at like one hundred and fifty to two hundred or two fifty, you're already ahead of you know inflation on that. But another key thing that really a lot of people don't realize some sometimes um, people invest in single tenant triple net leases completely on the financials of the tenant. Mm -hmm. So you need to know how to underwrite the financials of the tenant to whether they're going to be an ongoing business in 10 years, because you're underwriting a tenant that is basic. So you need to like say, this tenant is going to be in business for 10 years. This tenant is going to have a a going concern in 10 years, and they're going to pay their rent all the way through. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other issue is a lot of people that are strictly financial analysts and say, oh, this is a great tenant. I'm buying it at a great cap rate. 
don't take a look at what the actual property is because you need to have visibility, you need to have access. And I, I'm, I should preface all this with, I'm a retail guy. So there's a ton of opportunity out there to buy industrial real estate. Yes. Um, also at triple net. So you can buy like even an Amazon warehouse, but there, it, in a really big and great way to make money is people will do what are called um, sale lease backs. So they'll approach um, some of these industrial real estate owners that have owned their property for a long time and say, hey, we'll buy your property for you and then do a long-term lease. And that way you can get your money out of the property and you can monetize some of your business. Um, but I, I don't do any of that. So everything that I'm talking about is based on retail real estate. And there are fantastic experts out there that can talk to you all day long because industrial real estate and um, you know office real estate you know, are, are completely different businesses. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, retail and multifamily or, you know, multifamily and storage. Um, mobile home parks are a little similar, but they've got different quirks. But, um, you know, it's like oil and water with some of these things. So everything I say is my experience with retail real estate. Right. And since COVID, would you say, and I'm just, just on my, my own, you know, thoughts, you're seeing like the clientele of the retail uh, store different. Like I'm seeing here in the Houston market, like um, nail salons, uh, doctor's offices, things that people need, services that people need to like go to, not something that you can like order on Instacart and have delivered to your door. Those are like more of the, types of stores, if you will, or businesses that are uh, restaurants, you know, that are in the strip centers. Um, I had right. a conversation with a gentleman here in Houston who um, that's, uh, he and his business partners, that's really their expertise. And he was telling me that there's just like a significant shift in the types of successful businesses now because people had to reshape how they do business if they stayed in business, you know. Um, right, and that was one of the things I was talking about going back to 2017. We saw things shifting yeah. more towards the necessity retail, mm -hmm. which is what we like to call it. I don't like to call it what they called it. I forget um, what they called it, um, but it's like nobody's, uh, you know... Uh, so in necessity retail, people still want to shop for their groceries in store. Mm -hmm. um, and Walmart really had figured it out um, earlier, you know, like when Amazon started coming on mm -hmm. and even Amazon realized that they couldn't sell groceries, you know, online. So they bought Whole Foods mm -hmm. and now they're opening up Amazon Fresh stores. Um, mm -hmm. So and um you know, so there's always going to be shopping in person. And I so there was other people telling me that, you know, online retail is probably going to only reach 25% uh, maximum. And I, I think that's kind of true because you saw the absolute max of what could happen in 2020 and early 2021. And now you see Amazon laying off all kinds of people because they really over you know did it 
on, you know, we have to serve these people because these other, you know, uh, businesses were arbitrarily shut down by government. So you see it shifting back. People are going back into shopping. There's some people that are never going to go back to in-person shopping and and you're not going to change that. And there's right. some shopping patterns, you know, that were forever changed. But there's other patterns that were there. Um, you know, I, I don't even know if there's any more Sears stores available, but there was no reason for Sears to exist even in the 1990s. Um, I don't know why <laughs> JCPenney is still around. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? I, you know, and I can go down the list of these stores and, you know, um, I used to frustrate my wife because, you know, every once it, there was a few times early on in our marriage or before we were married, I would bring her on like these trips that we would have to go visit, you know, five and six malls to, you know, see if they were worth buying and, <laughs> and all the rest of them. Maybe and, we should be talking to her. Well, <laughs> so, so we're, walking, we're walking through the mall and she's like, 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 we're not here to shop. She's like, what do you mean? Well, I am. <laughs> Retail therapy is a healthy. I, I know, but she, she stopped going on trips with us. But my kids, if, uh, it, it, as part of like, um, you know, doing vacations, my kids have probably seen uh, shopping centers in, I think, 45 states. So, wow. mm -hmm. well, it's a good way to like write off the vacation, too. So we were. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then, you know, my uh, older son, as we were talking about, you know, Bob Helms from the real estate guys, the godfather of real estate, um, really had a big impact on my oldest son getting into real estate. But I think my oldest son, when he went to Providence College out in Providence, Rhode Island, and mm -hmm. we were out there, I had dropped him off and or I was just, you know, out there visiting and they've got a really big mall right downtown and it's three stories and we're going through it and I'm just pointing out it's like we see the buckle they always want to be next to the yes. food store because that's where the kids hang out mm -hmm. and you can see um you know this is the main court here and you always see the jewelry stores there and they'll pay the most because they have the highest margin you know <sighs> and their impulse and so I was just kind of breaking the stuff down and he looks at me and goes wow I had no idea you knew this much <laughs> Well, and it's funny because you walk through a mall and you're thinking about those things. I walk through a mall and I'm thinking, okay, where do I, what store do I want to hit next? But you know, uh -huh. the strategy that goes into everything, it's not accidental. Yeah. I, I'm walking through a mall and like, you know, merchandising. So yeah. it's like, and it's like, why would they put this store next to that store? That's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, so, okay, so this is such an interesting asset class to me, probably mm -hmm. one of the least um, knowledgeable areas that I'm in for Definitely. sure. And so mm -hmm. let's say, Michael, I, I'm like, okay, this is great. This, you know, I would imagine, you know, McDonald's and a lot of these places are pretty reliable tenants that are paying their bills. You know, these are companies that have been around for a long time, not all of them, but, you know, if I wanted to invest in triple net leases, how do I do that? Well, most people that are in active management with multifamily and um, single family and all the rest of that, when they build up all their equity and they're finally tired and they want to retire, they sell those buildings in 1031 into mm -hmm. a single tenant triple net lease because then they just like it literally is mailbox money. So that's what what a lot of people do. Um, a, a, 
a lot of other people do will come and invest with us because you know it's like i will you know work with somebody and this is the other thing like there's people out there that uh like those 1031 people that all the people will tell them and all the experts will say oh buy something with a long-term lease and you won't have to worry about it and the worst possible thing is if the tenant leaves whereas a lot of times we'll buy something with a shorter term lease because I know in the back of our head, we've got the people that we know who can backfill that. So let's say um, if there's a, a Walgreens there and we can get the data as to whether the, the store is doing well or not doing well. So it's like, okay, if they're going to renew, um, you know, then we get the benefit of the rent increase. If they're not going to renew, then I could put this other tenant in here like, oh, you know, I know Dollar Tree isn't in this market and I can get a higher rent from Dollar Tree than I could from, you know, this tenant. Or, you know, there there's certain things that that's a way that we would do value add that a lot of people wouldn't do value add because that's called lease risk. Mm -hmm. And most people, especially the REITs, um, are buying longer term leases and most people that are 1031ing. Um, don't want lease risk. That's the last thing they want possible. Mm -hmm. so, so we can buy some stuff that, you know, is like a, a two or three or a four year, you know, expiration. And you should be getting a higher cap rate, you know, for that. And you should be getting a better deal. And in the most cases, probably 60 to 80% the tenant is going to renew. Mm -hmm. and, and then there's certain situations where like, you know, the Starbucks, I, I was helping some guys out and they said, hey, we've got the Starbucks and our father owns it. And uh, it's in, you know, Colorado. And, um, you know, what do you think we should do? I'm like, well, I need more information on it um, because Starbucks is calling us up and saying they want to reduce the rent. I'm like, all these national tenants will call up and the first shot they'll do if their lease is expiring or even if they have an option is say we'd like to reduce the rent. And so I looked at it and I'm like, well, if you want me to, I'll call up the Starbucks person because I know who they are. Um, he's like, well, what are you going to say? And I'm like, I'm going to tell them that, you know, they can go find another place to, you know, um, you know, go out there. And he's like, what? I'm like, don't worry, relax. I said, there's no place they could go because they there's this is the only place they can get the drive through like that. Right. They can't get the drive through on any of the other corners. And this is the going to work side. And this is everything they need. So you just say, hey, you know, but then there's other situations where um, that that also comes back around. And, you know, so you absolutely do need them and you end up taking the the, the cut and rent. So, well, I think I think that, too, you know, um, people are shopping around for, you know, they're going to be looking at um, best pricing, if you will, and um the landlord's willingness to maybe upgrade some property well, needs and, and things of that nature. Um, and the, the key thing is, is that if they could get two or three people or even four people, um, if you take a look at like how many stores that Dollar General has, Dollar General has like 15,000 stores. 7-Eleven uh -huh. has close to 70,000 stores. 7-Eleven so, has just made like a major comeback. I mean, I'm yeah. seeing it everywhere. Yeah, they're owned by a Japanese company now. Mm -hmm. But yeah. if you take a look at um, if they can save a little bit here and a little bit there, over 5,000 stores, that adds up to some super huge money. 
Nice. So they will also contest their cam charges if they're in a shopping center, large tenants. As a matter of course, they'll just say, um, send us all your cam charges and we're going to audit them. And if they can come back and even say like $500, if you take $500 and like spread that across the stores, you know, it, it's worth money. it for them. Significant. Yeah. It sure is. Yeah. Oh. Well, I, um, our, our time is, is drawing to a close and I just, I want to thank you so much because as Courtney said, this is a, a space that I'm not real knowledgeable about, and you've just brought a lot of information in a very short window of time. A lot of, a lot of things to really think about, um, just in how that applies yeah, and I want to apologize for being stereotypical and assuming that ladies just want to talk about shopping. Well, listen, we we can talk about that too because I'd love to talk about at another time maybe the demalling and you know uh, I believe that's what you called it how right. how malls really evolved. Oh, right, you know that would be another really that would be a great conversation because you know I remember seeing some of those years ago thinking oh that's never gonna. It's never going to go over well. And boy, aren't they popular. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. let me just ask you. So if people wanted to get a hold of you or um, wanted to invest in you or to dig in further, how can people get a hold of you, Michael? Sure. So people could go to our website. It's libertyfund.io. It's libertyfund.io. And um, it is. The Liberty Fund is set up as a triple net property fund. So single tenant, triple net, essential business, necessity business, real estate. Um, so, and, and we designed it to be recession proof and Amazon proof. And it also turned out to be, you know, COVID stupidity proof. Uh, <laughs> or I, I shouldn't say proof. I, let's say resistant. So resistant. We'll, we'll use, resilient, yeah. resilient. Yeah. Yes. And um, the other thing is, is that there is a lot of information on there about triple net properties, about, you know, what's unique about them. And I also have, which I'm uh, trying to to get a few more um, podcasts up, but we have the Nothing But Net Show podcast. So, and it's all about triple net properties. Um, So we try to, you know, put out as much education as possible and even if you're not investing with us, we'd like you to be knowledgeable about this so that, you know, you've got, you're protecting your, you know, funds. And the reason why it's liberty is because um, you can't have any type of freedom unless you have financial freedom. So financial freedom is above everything, including political freedom. Mm-hmm. Oh, love that. Oh, I, I, I just really appreciate it. I think it's so important to have, you know, different assets in your portfolio. And this um, is another great addition that I clearly need to get added into mine. So um, I'm firm believer in, in diversification. Um, And I think, you know, to a certain extent, um, multifamily people have done a great job of educating investors and, um, educating investors about short-term rentals and all the rest of this but i mean you should have exposure to like self-storage you should you know if you can get into some mobile home parks uh you should you know you shouldn't have like 100 percent in the value add multifamily. yeah um you know you should just spread it around a little bit because you know when one you know might be hit by a certain thing the other one um you know is probably going to be clicking along for you Right. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And so, well, thank you so, so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This has been fantastic. Really informative. Thank you very much.